0: Vision Christian Radio bumper stickers are a practical way to show the world how much you love vision. New stickers are available now. Choose the I Love Vision sticker or your local frequency and proudly display your affiliation with Australia's National Christian Radio Network. It's more than just a sticker, it's a statement. And might help someone you'll never meet discover vision and start looking to God daily. Whether you're parked or cruising through town, Vision Bumper Stickers will turn heads and spark conversations. Stick it, show it, and let everyone know you're tuned to Vision. Available now at vision.org.au slash stickers. Order your Vision Bumper Sticker today. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Our series is entitled, The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 1. And we are now in Chapter 8 of this verse-by-verse commentary of John's Gospel, Chapter 8, itself is entitled The Light of the World, and we should know who that is about. The particular lesson here is called Dealing with Adultery, based on John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. And I want to read to you just a verse or two from this section. John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, and let me read, say, from verse 6 or actually verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? And then in verse 7, Jesus responds, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. This is probably one of the most famous incidents of the entire scripture, at least involving Jesus. And it's one that we would do well to take heed to that the person that is without sin can be the first one to throw a stone. And, of course, what is not actually explicitly stated but implied, here is Jesus of Nazareth. He is totally and completely without sin. He's the only sinless human that ever walked the earth. And he's not picking up stones to stone the woman who was caught in adultery. And I might add that it was actually written in the Law of Moses that adultery is a capital offense. I know we don't stone adulterers today, nor am I recommending we do so, but don't think that people are getting away with adultery or murder or theft or anything else, because eventually everyone will have to give account of himself or herself to God according to Romans chapter 14 and verse 12. So we will all have our day at God's throne, and we want to be blameless. We want to be having the shortest audience ever with the Almighty, where he basically looks down at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, if you cannot honestly say that that's going to be your experience, the good news is it can be. If you're willing to go all the way, Jesus' way. If you're willing to accept the free gift of the gospel, where Jesus took your penalty and my penalty, your guilt and my guilt, your shame and my shame, he nailed it on the cross, and we don't have to do anything per se, but repent, believe, and receive. When you repent, believe, and receive, you enter into what is called the new birth, and you can see and perceive the things of the kingdom of God. This is a remarkable story of the adulterous woman in John chapter 8. Please note, it's only the woman that is publicly shamed. We don't hear anything about the man, even though it takes two to tango. So, that's another interesting point. But it begins on the Mount of Olives, and from there, Jesus begins to teach, and then not on the Mount of Olives, but back in the Temple Mount. And then, after he begins to teach, they bring the sinful woman. And then they say that Moses said this, what do you say, setting a trap for him? They wanted to shame him, and they wanted to shame her. But remember, Jesus is going to do something very unusual. He's just going to sit and write on his finger in the ground as if he didn't hear them. We'll learn more about all this soon. But then what will happen is most remarkable. One, Jesus gives his one liner that is so immortal, we can still say it to this day. All the accusers of the woman, woman, they just dissipate and she alone is left with Jesus. What he says to her and what he says to us all as a result is life transforming. Let's read now the entire portion. From John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. The lesson is called Dealing with Adultery. John 8, 1 to 11. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he had heard them not. So when they continued asking him, He lifted up himself, and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down, and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst." When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Our reading is from John chapter 8 verses 1 to 11, and our lesson is called Dealing with Adultery. Really, this lesson is about dealing with sin, full stop. There are big sins, little sins, all kinds. And yet, the fact is, all sin, no matter how big or small, no matter how notorious or seemingly harmless, they all lead to the same thing. The wages of sin is death. According to Romans 6, verse 23. Praise God, there's more to the verse than that. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That really summarizes it so well. We have both the problem and the solution found in that one verse of Romans 6, verse 23. Let's now go to the focus here, the Mount of Olives. There has been textual criticism, even controversy, about whether this story is was written by John or not, or at least whether it's in the right place in the Gospel of John. Now, you can find this in little notes found in some translations of the Bible. Now, without going into technicalities, let's just remember something. God inspires His Word, and He does more than that. He watches over His Word to perform it. We neither want to add or sub- to subtract from God's Word. This story has the ring of divine authority, and as far as I'm concerned, it should be accepted at face value without hesitation. Because is God not able to protect His Word? Is God going to allow things in His Word to distract, contaminate things that are ingrafted but are false? No way. The same one that inspires is the same one that watches, is the same one that protects. I hope that helps you out if you see such notes in your modern Bible. After teaching at the Temple Mount and evading arrest after the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus withdraws from Jerusalem's old city and goes to the Mount of Olives, which is nearby to the east, but also a steep ascent, since you have to go through the Valley of Kidron or Jehoshaphat to get there. Just as Jesus' opponents went to their own home, Jesus' home normally would be Bethany on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. Everyone went their own way. And remember who lived in Bethany? Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. So everyone basically went their own way. Time for teaching. John 8.2 Jesus returns to the Temple Mount, and when people gathered around him, he did what he always does, very consistent. He taught the people. The same man that multiplied the loaves and fishes and helped satisfy the natural hunger was even more adept at satisfying spiritual hunger. And what a great teacher he was. An inspiration to me, an inspiration to all who teach God's word. But while he's teaching, John 8 verse 3, he's brought or encounters the sinful woman. The scribes and Pharisees, brought him this woman allegedly found in adultery. They brought her in the midst. There was something particularly nasty about their behavior. The intention was to humiliate and embarrass the woman by bringing her to a public place. In fact, the biggest public space in the ancient world. But please note, it's only the adulterous woman who's brought to Jesus. Where was the man in all this? He's nowhere to be found. So they not only want to embarrass the woman, they want to, at the same time, trap Jesus, hoping he will say or do something to give them an excuse to arrest him. So the sin itself, in John 8, verse 4, they said, Master, this woman was taken in the very act of adultery. How did they know? Were there prearranged spies? Were there people looking through the bedroom window? I mean, adultery is wrong. It's evil. It's sinful, for sure. But normally, it's a private sin. It's not like people do it in public. How did these guys know and said she was caught in the very act? You know, I've never really considered all these questions until I actually have to teach. But that is something to make note. How did these people know this woman was committing adultery? Well, we'll continue on, but uh, I think it'll become a little more obvious. Moses said in John 8, verse 5, yes, according to Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10, adultery was a capital crime, meaning if you committed adultery, you were guilty of a great sin and should be executed. Now, there had to be credible witnesses. You just can't execute anybody based on rumor or innuendo since adultery as i said earlier is a private affair there appears to have been no known executions for adultery at least that we are aware of how did these people know that she committed adultery how do you have the two witnesses minimum to verify well perhaps the woman's betrothal made an intimate relationship appear as adultery In other words, maybe she was engaged to somebody. They were spending the night together. Okay, that's adultery enough. Whatever it may be, the trap is laid. Moses said, execute those who commit adultery. Therefore, Master, what do you say? If Jesus said, let her alone, he would have been accused of violating the law of Moses. If he said, stoner, then he would have accused of lacking compassion. Either way, he stood to be condemned. Now, what was the real motive behind it all? John 8, verse 6. This public shaming of the woman and trapping Jesus was given so that they obtained evidence to accuse him, thus making his arrest more probable and justified. Yet, in humility and peace, Jesus just stoops down and, what does he do? he writes on the ground with his finger as if he hadn't heard them. Now, what is interesting is this is the only time in Scripture we see Jesus writing anything. Now, we don't question his literacy. I mean, he knew how to read, and I'm sure he knew how to write, but it's the only time he actually is writing something. And there's been so much speculation about, well, what did he actually write? And some people come up with interesting Theories about what Jesus wrote on the ground while these hypocrites were trying to condemn the adulterous woman. But you know what? Does it really matter? If God wanted us to know what Jesus wrote, he is more than able to reveal it. But it is an interesting thing that Jesus was there just writing on the ground. So instead of the normal word for write, which is graphene in Greek... John used the word katagrapheni, which implies recording something against someone. Maybe Jesus really did have a condemnation in his writing. A classic statement. John 8, verse 7. Jesus makes one of his famous statements, probably one of the most famous of all. As the officials kept questioning him, he finally sits up, and makes this one-liner, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. Boom. The woman's accusers were using her as a weapon against Jesus. Now, with one line, the tables are turned, and Jesus puts them all to shame. And so he should. John 8, verse 8, back to business. After making his one-line statement, he stoops down and continues to write on the ground, apparently in total peace. And then in verse 9, Jesus' simple statement brought conviction and shame to them all. So they began to quietly disperse, starting with the elders. When it was all over, only the woman and Jesus were left. The public shaming became an absolute thizzer. Where are the accusers? Jesus then looks up seeing the woman alone, and asks her, Well, what happened? Where are those that are accusing you? Is there no one left to condemn you? The woman simply replies, No man, Lord. Jesus says that he does not condemn her either. The only one who was sinless, enough to condemn her, enough to execute her, chose the way of mercy and forgiveness. Yet. There was one thing to remember, the woman like the rest was a sinner. Now that grace was extended to her, she was to make a new commitment to holiness. Forgiveness is not a license to sin again, but an opportunity to break free from its grip. The Lord concludes go and sin no more. She was not condemned, but she has to walk in righteousness to stay free. Of condemnation I would say look we need to do the same thing but the good news for believers if we confess our sins Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that's according to John or first John I should say chapter 1 now friends let's also take note we all have sinned so we have no right to condemn anyone but once we've come into faith Let's extend mercy to others so that when we need mercy, we can have it. Now, our lesson is called Dealing with Adultery. And our lesson for life is this. The grace Jesus gave to the adulterous woman is extended to us all. Therefore, go and sin no more.